happy anniversary, Diane. Thank you, Sandy. I um, asked God to let me take a nap. And uh, I woke up exactly 2.22. And I was supposed to be over here before 3. And I wasn't dressed. And after 55, that can be rather difficult. <laughs> and as I threw things on, I just kept praying and praying. Please don't put me in atrophy. Please don't. This is a chance of a lifetime today. I don't want to go to the emergency room. I have, uh, and I am much calmer now, and I'm grateful to God for that. Uh, I've been having a few few difficulties physically, and uh, I consider being here such a uh, privilege and such an honor, and I want to thank uh, the committee for inviting me. And uh, I thank uh, Diane and, 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 and Villager for making me so warmly welcome when I got here. Yolanda has been calling me, and uh, we've been having good conversation. And I know she hasn't forgotten what she promised she was going to do when I got up here. I just want to remind you to be ready after I talk. Uh, <laughs> I... Um, I can remember the very first time I ever heard anything about Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and what they do. And it was, must have been the convention prior to my uh, picking up my first and only. Our newspaper said, AA convention on Jackal. Alcoholics convened, da 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 da. And I was sort of hungover. And uh, I looked there and I said, I wonder what those drunk people do over there. I said, I bet you it is a mess over there when all those drunks get over there together. I couldn't imagine what you convened about. I, I, had, I had never at that point heard about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I didn't know you did these kinds of things. And uh, I really got a little tad bit in the industry, but I, I closed the paper and... Uh, didn't read anymore, but I remember that. And uh, through the grace of God in this fellowship, here I am at the Georgia Convention and as a contributor, contributor in what you have given me. I thought about it last night as, as Helen Louise spoke. And, and I said today, I wanted to say that today, I didn't realize that God in his knowledge of me and my life and what my future was about blessed me with the disease of alcoholism so that I could be here today. And I'm eternally grateful that my name is Caritha Miles and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Hi, everybody. I, I didn't know when I was in hell some of the accolades I could get, like meeting Clark and him talking about how important it is for him to be up here, how grateful he was to be a part of this. I don't know where I'm going today. I always say this before I get started. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't have a planned speech. 
And I know that I'm supposed to say and tell it in a general way. But I've been around these rooms since October 19, 1975. And I have not found a way to say it generally yet. <laughs> I usually wind up blurting out something that I was going to hold till I got back to my spot so I wasn't ready to share an open group. Boom! It just drops right out like that. And then I try to gracefully pull it back, but it's too late then. And uh, so I imagine the day it'll do me like that again. Uh, especially when I'm trying to say some profound things, you know, when I want to bless the group with my greatness. That garbage just jumps out at you, you know. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know where I'm going because I'm winding up here now. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't talked in a few weeks, y'all. And uh, that's the way it gets. I am just so grateful to be here. I really am. Had a good trip up here. I was coming up the walkway uh, with Diane, and I thought about it. I said, none of my children are here with me today. And, and I'm doing something I've never done before. But you know, when I came in the door, none of my children came with me. And it's okay. They're not concerned about me because they know I'm up here with y'all and they don't worry when I'm with y'all. They tell me I'm supposed to say it in a general way, what it used to be like, what happened, and how it is today. How it is today, I'm gainfully employed. How it is today, I wrote a, a request for days off and put on the request sheet that I needed to be off because I was going to the Georgia AA convention and I would be a speaker and my boss called me in and said, Carita, congratulations and you're welcome to have the days off. And that's what the change has been similar to. How it is now when I go to church, I take God with me and I take the God that you taught me about. Here's where I find out what God was all about. I, uh, Tend to when I begin to talk, I wander. And what I do is, I heard Linda talk about it today, I have control issues too. It's not just a, but I'm a double winner. So it's not just an Al-Anon problem. <laughs> uh, I have trouble with control too. And even though I, I pray and I say, God guide me, help me to help somebody else today, because I'm always helped. I always start out trying to do my own little thing, and as usual, I always mess it up. So what I'm going to try to do now is concentrate on what I'm supposed to do and how it's supposed to be done, and I know that my loving God's going to intercede and take over, and I'm going to help somebody today through my loving God. I was born in, in Brunswick, Georgia, and uh, I have a, have a brother who is 13 years older than me. My brother and I had different fathers. I uh, remember somebody telling me not too long ago, Carita, don't go into the drunkard log and stay there too long because you've been recovered long enough. You're supposed to expound on the greatness of your recovery. And like I told you, I don't know where I'm going today. I may stay in the drunkard log. I may not. But we're going to take it and do it in God's, in God's word today. Here's, here's what I did. My brother and I, grew up separately, and uh, he left home when I was a tiny little girl. So he was like the father image to me because my father was never there for me. 
My mother and father were not married. But to know, say that I didn't know love, oh yeah, I knew love. Any amount of love I couldn't have gotten any better than I got from this single black woman who worked very hard. She was 40 when I was born. She worked very hard to teach me how to be independent, self-sustaining, and more than anything, she wanted me to have an education because she only had a fourth or fifth grade level education. I know one of the great things in my life that I've ever done is when I began to read, I taught my mother how to read the newspaper. And one of the things I used to love to do was watch her reading the newspaper in the evening as she got home from work. My father, I would like to say, had some problems with drinking. I'd like to say that my mother had some problems with drinking, even though it did not interfere with her care for me. At some point or another, she decided not to do it anymore. I think my father died an alcoholic death. My brother had drinking problems even though we had different fathers. He uh, has come to AA since I've been into the fellowship and he's done quite well. Alcoholism ran rampant in my family. I have two, three aunts that died alcohol-related deaths. I have one aunt that they said I was exactly alike that died when she was 26 years old. And they said she died in withdrawal because she was making horrible noises as she died. Some of these things I knew about as a child, some of them I didn't. But enough was enough. If, if, if I had been, quote, the normal type person, had somebody told me that you just like Aunt Geneva and she died when she was 26 years old and she died from drinking liquor, I think that I would probably never have taken, taken that first drink, huh? Because I would have been afraid to. I, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody says, I don't know when I crossed over. I don't believe that. I, I don't know when I crossed over into the throngs of alcoholism. I don't know when I became, stopped being a social drinker and became a, an, an alcoholic type person drinking. I believe that, uh, that this, this, I don't think I drank myself. This is my belief. I do not believe I drank myself into this disease. I believe I was genetically predisposed to this illness because if you look at my family tree, you can see it branching everywhere. They tell me it will travel through generations and it will skip generations. I'm looking now. I'm the mother now of four children. I don't know why I said now. It better be all. Uh, <laughs> but I have four children. My oldest child is 38. My next is 31. And then I have a son who is 28, <clears throat> excuse me, and I have one that was born since I came to the fellowship that's 19. Diane says, we say, that's another story. <laughs> oh, when I was pregnant with that child in the fellowship, I just, oh, thank you, God. You have given me a gift. And I thought I had slid through. You know, they say what goes around comes around. And, and I gave my mother hell, y'all. Oh, did my mother cry. And I thought my children, the first three, just kind of, but see, they were the ones that came up during the disease active time. So they knew how to walk around like a rat, you know, what on cotton. They knew they better not talk too loud and say the wrong thing at the wrong time because they might get an ashtray or they may get a, backhand or something like that. You see, as I stand here before you today, I'm guilty of all the sins, bar none, all the sins, okay? But the thing that I say that for is not because I want to brag about how many sins I've committed. 
I say that because I want you to know the miraculous process of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, if you have committed and done as many things as Caritha has done, there's no way I need to be standing up here because I should have been annihilated, boom, right long time ago. But there was one reason for me to be doing everything I did, and I believe that. That is so I can stand up here today and share and say, you, whoever you are, you don't have to do it anymore. See? And the other thing I'm going to do for those of you who are out there who still think you've got to go back and get some more, is I'm going to mess all that up. You've got no more reason to go out. See, because if I can live one day at a time sober, I know anybody can. Because I've been there, done that before you even think of it. You see what I'm saying? So the excuse you've been using is saying, oh, I just couldn't. And I just didn't. And I, it's simply because you ain't made up your mind yet. But my sponsor told me a long time ago, she said, Caritha, it's being honest when you say I'm just not ready yet. Get there and go on with that instead of keep messing around and messing around and messing around. But you know they tell me these doors swing back and forth. And don't tell me, oh, I'm just institutionalized and I got all these psychic because I'm, I am dual any kind of way you look at it. Crazy as a bed bug. Okay, I'm standing up here. I'm just as crazy and I, I can go right now to a psychiatrist's office and get the kind of diagnosis you need in order to get your welfare and your social security on disability if I want to. I know how to shake. <laughs> I can shake when I need pills. I can shake when I need a drink. I can do exactly. I can wake up crazy and do anything you want me to do. Anything I can do right now. The car ain't gone. <laughs> See, everybody said, oh, my character defects just left me and went away. Mine didn't go away. <laughs> See, what they did was I know now not to use them. They right there. I can pull them up right now. I talked to a friend of mine on the phone the other day, and she said, uh, Chris, I got a new boss, and I'm having a hard time, and I don't know. I said, girl, you got to pull up the car. Sweet talk to me. Be good to him. So he won't stab you in the back, because he worried about his job, too. I said, but just do it in an honest way. There's one thing I've learned to do, and that's to tell the truth. And I learned, too, that sometimes I have to keep my mouth closed because sometimes I just don't want to intentionally hurt people with the truth. And that's more than I did when I was drinking. When I was drinking, I would say some things that would cut people down to nothing. And I've learned as I grow older in this fellowship that sometimes you have to go in the back door to get what you want to get done. And you can get it done honestly that way, too. When I was growing up, I don't think, I, I, I don't know anything I didn't, I wanted that I didn't have. I think I had lots of things that I really didn't need. And I went to church every Sunday. I was active in church. I was active in sports and academics in high school. I graduated and I received a scholarship to go to nursing school. And I wasn't the kind of person that drank and went to bad places. Places I began to frequent after I started drinking. I, 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 I used to walk, go in places that there was a time when I walked on the other side of the street. You know, I heard Barney say a long time ago that every time you see the liquor sign, you never see it go across like this. It's always spelled with the R to the bottom. 
And that's just where alcohol took me to the bottom. Now, there was something. I, I remember trying to turn loose my alcohol. But there was always, like I heard uh, Helen say last night, there was always a reason other than the drinking. Drinking was not the problem. Drinking was not the problem. And I could always use the fact that I grew up without a father, that I had a working mother, that there was nobody there for me. I could always fall back on that. I could always fall back on the fact that I was uh, Scorpio Sagittarius. I could always fall back on the fact that I was biracial and didn't know who I was. I was black and white and Indian and I had resentments against all of them because nobody was claiming me. You know, after you start getting drunk for a while, nobody likes to be around you. And especially your family. They do not like to be around you. And when you, one thing I could always pick up was a negative attitude because I was a big bundle of negativity. If you wanted some negative stuff, come to me. I was loaded with it. I would look at people. I would criticize them. I could read you from across the room and tell you who your mom and daddy were. When was the last time you had a bath? I knew everything about you without even coming across to you. I used to be, I could read mine. I could sit on the side of the room in the bar. And if you were over there talking to the person right next to me, next to them, I knew you were talking about me, and I had to go over there and straighten that situation out then. <laughs> See? Because you just don't sit here and talk about me. And then I used to do things like stay in the bar and look at people and say, Oh, God, every time I come in here, he's in here. <laughs> he needs to stay home. <laughs> I forgot I was there. <laughs> I could do all of those things. And I can remember saying something along the lines after I had been in treatment seven or eight times. And there, there are more times than that. I'm quite sure, in fact, it was more times than that. But I'm quite sure at some point in time I went in treatment in a blackout and came out in a blackout. Because I was real good at going in there and leaving, you know, because I could learn real quick. I had an infamous mind. I could grasp things, you know. And let me tell you something. You don't have to sit there and preach to me because I'm no dummy. You understand? I'm no dummy. I picked it up last time. I just chose not to lose, use it, you see. When I get ready to use it, I'll use it. And just get off my back because I didn't come here for that. I came here to get help. If you can't give me help the way I want it, just leave it alone. And don't be trying to tell me how to run my life because I know what goes good for my life. And if, if my mother hadn't said to me, get your clothes and get out, I wouldn't be in here drunk right now, you see? <laughs> Those were the kind of things that I used to say to people. And when they mentioned to me about going to Alcoholics Anonymous, I said, I don't need Alcoholics Anonymous. I need some deep therapeutic psychiatric treatment. <laughs> if I could get that, it would straighten out my life. You know, somewhere inside of me, I knew that if I go to AA, it was going to straighten me out. And I stayed away as long as I could. As long as I could. I remember going to my very first meeting. And uh, Brookings was here, I think. And it was at Millersville. And you know, a long time ago, we thought Millersville was the hospital. But it's not. It's the town. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was at Millersville, not by choice. I had been incarcerated. And uh, yes, incarcerated, a lady of my stature, and upbreeding. <laughs> and 
I got there in the back of uh, Maverick. And the two people who were taking me there were taller than me. So you know what cramped style I was in, cuffed and shackled. What were you doing cuffed and shackled, Carita? That's another story, Diane, huh? <laughs> they knew if they wanted to get me there to cuff and shackle me. Uh, when when I, I got up there and they, they said you had to go to this meeting, and I said, well, I really don't want to go to a church. And they said, yes, you're going. And so the meeting was in a church. And I'll tell you how long ago it was. This lady, well, no, because that time has come back around again. That's how long ago it was. The lady had on mini skirt and white cowboy boots and a fringe vest. And she was about that tall. And she stood up to give her story. And when she did and she began to talk, I said, oh, my God, where did they get her from? <laughs> Remember now, I'm locked up in Central State. This lady gonna go home when she finished talking. <laughs> oh my God, where did she come from? Listen at that time, she stayed all night, child. At that awful. And said she was in the blackout, didn't Oh, girl, I wouldn't no more tell nobody that. You know, and that's why she was up there talking and I was still being shackled and handcuffed, but I didn't have sense enough to realize that then. You know, that's the kind of insanity they talk about when they talk about it in tough stuff. Not the fact that I ain't got no good mind. I got a good one, but I just didn't use it in a sane manner. This fellowship taught me how to use my mind in a sane manner. How to recognize that it sounds logical and it is reasonable that anything that if you weigh some out of the glass and set it on the table and it removes varnish and paint from the table, that it will get inside your gut and mess it up. <laughs> but I would look at that and go to another type of reasoning altogether and say, my God, why did I let my liquor waste out the glass like that? <laughs> to take the paint off the table, not thinking that that liquor is going inside of me destroying my insides, you see. And all the times, the times we move right into regurgitating and vomiting and spitting up. You see, and, and I did that too. And I have a PhD too in puking. <laughs> in puking. Now, let me tell you, that's a status you have to work at to get to. I started out throwing up. Move to vomiting, regurgitating. Move right on up the ladder to the ecstatic position of a puker. <laughs> uh, of a puker. Now, Helen talked about it a little bit last night. Let me go a little further. You, when I remodeled my grandmother's bathroom, I put the sink in front of the commode. Now, experience, you know why. You got to be able to take care of business any kind of way it comes. All right? You throw up, you start, it starts coming, and then when it starts coming, it feels like you're going to choke. And then your eyes start squinting out. 
and then your throat and your stomach like Helen said, the backbone comes together like that. And you're sitting there and you're scrunching and going. And you're just going and and your nose running. And you're down there, you're getting with it down there, you know. And you're sitting there thinking as it all comes out, say, oh, God, I'd be glad doing this over so I can get another drink. <laughs> God have mercy, sick, 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 sick. Moving on up to the status of hiding your liquor. Hide your liquor. That's an experience that if you haven't been there yet, I'll tell you a little bit about so you'll know what to do when you get there. When you hide that liquor, make sure you make a trail to it. Never hide that liquor while you're drinking. I've tried all methods. I try to drink myself back to where I was so I can remember which drawer I put it in. And then you have to tear down the house when you get mad with it. And then you accuse everybody of throwing out your liquor. Because you simply can't remember where you put your liquor. And another thing is, always keep a reserved bottle for point out purposes. Point out purposes is when the husband is getting ready to walk out the door or the wife. And you go get that bottle and you say, I'm through with it. I'm through with it. I'll never drink another one. Never again. Watch me. Go to the sink and pull that boy out. Huh? Because you know you got a reserve stuck back in the corner. <laughs> Pouring out liquor. That's a status you're not to get to. Maybe you don't want to get there either. But let me tell you another place you might want to go. You might want to go where I went. I was kicked out of nursing school because of alcoholism. I was 17 years old. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I drank. When they told me I was going home, I tried to overdose on pills and kill myself. I don't think I really wanted to die as much as I just wanted to disappear. But I really wanted to manipulate other people. And I didn't know then that I was a manipulator. I didn't know then I was a con artist. If anybody had told me, I would probably argue them down. If somebody had come to me and told me at Grady Hospital at the age of 17 that you have a disease called alcoholism and you're going to have to go home and get that straight and then come back into nursing school, I would say no. Because, you know, Grady was an outstanding school of nursing back in 1958. And you really had to be pretty good to get in there. My life was planned for me. I did not have any idea that I would wind up one day becoming the worst drunk in my small town. I grew up in the church. I was a Girl Scout. I did everything that a productive young woman should have done in order to be an active and a prosperous young woman. I had a loving mother. But something happened to me today I first touched a drink. One of the things that happened to me is I, I, I remembered it. And what was strange about it was I didn't remember it caused me to go to sleep and, and they couldn't wake me up with all the shaking. I remembered the way it made me feel. And it gave me a feeling that nothing else in my life had been able to do for me. And I took that first drink when I was about 13. I was babysitting. And I can't, it didn't do anything. There was no problems. Nobody said anything. 
And so I took my next drink when I was like 16 and I was graduating from high school. It was prom night. And I didn't intend to get drunk that night. Then when I got to nursing school and I realized that they were going to get me because I'd been doing a little bit too much pardon and they were going to send me home, I drank again. And I tried to overdose on drugs and I, and I, and I tried to, 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 to kill myself in the drinking. That pattern of drinking, getting depressed, feeling sorry for myself, and killing myself became a pattern. And it just escalated in stature. What happened was I started changing my methods. When they kicked me out of nursing school, my mother came for me, and she said, Caritha, what's the matter? And I said, Mama, those teachers are awful. They didn't give me a break. I mean, it was just hard. And she said, well, Carita, you pretty smart, pretty out. What happened? And I said, well, just the teachers, they just didn't like me, Mama. And my poor Mama was a little bit like Linda, you know, take care of me. Wanted to make sure that everything was good for her child. She took me home, and she said, well, maybe you can do something else. And so what I did next was I joined the military because it was unique and different. I wanted to be unique and different. And I was walking down the street one day, and there was this sign, and Uncle Sam was pointing his thing at me, and I said, oh, I know he's talking especially to me. And I went in, and the man said, you're too young. I said, let's go talk to my mama. Well, I knew I could push my mama's button. And I went home, and I talked to my mama, and she signed the papers, and I went in the military. And I know today that the United States Army has never and will never, ever forget Caritha Powell. It wasn't the thing, everybody goes in the military and everybody wants out, but it wasn't the thing of wanting out. That wasn't me. I didn't, that wasn't particularly want out. They wanted me out. One of the things that I began to do was drink. And when I drank, I became wild and crazy. The last time I drank in the military, I was stationed in Heidelberg, Germany. I was just getting ready to turn 18 years old. I'd been in about a year and a half in the military about a year and a half. And uh, I was re when I first came to the fellowship, I, I, I was reluctant to talk about this because I got an a honorable discharge under medical conditions because of my drinking. And uh, what I did was I, I tried to kill myself again, got drunk, tried to kill myself, cut both wrists. When I cut both wrists, they put me in a psychiatric unit. They put me in a padded room. They put me in a straitjacket. And they... Uh, uh, locked me up. Then they let me out for a pass. I did so good. They let me out for a pass. And of course you know I went straight to the snack bar in the movie. But I didn't. I went straight to the club. I drank again. I went into the craziness. They put me back in the straitjacket. They put me in lockdown where you flush the commode and turn the water on from the outside. The whole room was padded. Here was Estella Powell, young his daughter, only daughter, baby daughter, Robert Powell's baby sister in Heidelberg, Germany, in a lockdown cell. They sent me over to, to USRA headquarters. They locked me down over there. And they said, we made a decision. We're going to discharge you and send you home. And I was so embarrassed because I didn't want to go back home a failure. I had felt that feeling before when I was in nursing school. I didn't want to go back home a failure. And I kept going back home a failure. And I kept saying, well, if I go here and I go there, I understand where Helen Louise was about a geographical change, moving from place to place. 
I didn't realize I took my worst enemy with me everywhere I went. I tear Caretha without changing. If I don't change me, and Lord knows, changing me is the hardest thing in my life. Changing me. I always want to change other people in situations, but the answers are all in me. They told me this when I got here, and I could not believe that. I knew that other people had to do what they needed to do, and then my world was straightened out, and it didn't. I became known as the town drunk. As a result of my drinking, I became what I thought I would never, never become because I never wanted to. I told you earlier, my mother and father were not married. My, my first three children are all illegitimate children. Um, they do not tell me that they're embarrassed by this, but I, I imagine they are. I imagine they are. We talk about it, and we don't have stepsisters and stepbrothers. My son is uh, 27 years old, and my son was three years old when a drastic change happened in my, in my life before, just before I came to the fellowship. Scotty was uh, three years old. My grandfather had left us an old 22 rifle. I had gone through the throngs of, of, of uh, trying to kill myself. I tried all methods, pills overdosing and abusing liquor, cutting wrists, cutting throat, gas, and this time I was going to really do it. My grandpapa had left us this old 22 rifle that would misfire on occasion. And I loaded it up with that old 22 bullet, and anybody here who works in medical services know that uh, when a 22 hits you, it ricochets. It goes everywhere and goes crazy. And my little son was there, and, and, and I called him, and this is the son that's a policeman now by the grace of God. And I called this three-year-old child to, to my side, and I was drinking. And I wanted to get some resentments at his dad. Sob. So I was going to fix myself. I was going to let his son shoot his mama and let him suffer for the rest of his life. This is a very, very self. Oh, Lord. It is the most selfish disease when it's active. There I never thought about it. Anybody else? but me and my damn liquor. I treated everybody else for the, just the reason to get my liquor. The ultimate goal was to get my liquor, whether it was the job, whether it was my mother, whether it was my husband, whether it was my child. Liquor was the ultimate goal, to get my drink. And I don't care who I stepped on, who I hurt to get it, they were supposed to understand what was going on with me was more important than what was going on with them. You see? And until I got honest with myself, you see. So I called this three-year-old child to my side, and I said, Scotty, pull the trigger. And I had the barrel to my throat the first time it misfired. So fool that I am, I reloaded. And my oldest daughter was standing in the doorway away from me. And uh, my middle daughter at the time was in foster care because they were attempting to take all of my children from me. And that was not enough to get my attention. So here I sit in this dining area, and I pull the trigger again, and the bullet hit. Boom. The bullet hit. I sat there, and I waited to die. And um, nothing happened. So I said, well, I guess I better lie down. Uh, they say God will intercede for fools and babies, you know. 
And my children took off down the road. This is black dark in the country way back, 1975. This was in July of 75 before I took my last drink in October. They went down. I laid for, I don't know how long I must have passed out or something. When I looked up, the squad was there and they were trying to help me and I was going to help them because, you know, I had gone back to nursing school and had become an LPN and worked somewhat sometimes. And so I had a little bit of medical knowledge, and I told them, I said, oh, the bullet's still inside. It doesn't have an outside exit point. And I said, it's still inside. And they said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. And I said, I only bled just quarters worth of blood on this collar right here. They said, okay. And they said, well, would you continue to lie down? We're going to have to take you in. And I said, all right. And so they took me in. And when we got outside, my cousin was outside out there. And I wanted to make sure my children were all right. Wasn't there something after the fact? I want to make sure my children are all right. So I raised up on the stretch and they thought I was dead and was rising up because of roar. Ooh, everybody saw Halloween time, I guess, and rose up on the stretch. And I said, Gerd, I'm all right. I'm going to the hospital, okay? And they took me on to the hospital and the doctor told me, he said, uh, this is a miracle. He said, any bullet that enters the base of your head that way. And what had happened was the bullet went through, did not touch my brain. And the valve was pointing up like this. And didn't touch my brain, it went to the back of my head like this and just landed. And he said, I don't know who and what you believe in, he said, but you need to thank somebody for your being alive. And I wish I could say today that after that time, I didn't drink no more. But let me tell you something. If all those other ways that I told you about going through drinking and you hadn't made up your mind yet, if you got a problem, let me tell you this one little last thing to help you out. Shoot yourself with a twin too. Right. But make sure it lands where you can feel it in the back of your head. And you feel a little hump back there. You go in the bar, sit down, and let people come and feel your bullet. You can drink a plenty of liquor like that. <laughs> I mean, people line up to buy you a drink. Mm-hmm. They line. Yes, girl, you want to? Yeah, girl, I shot myself. And the bullet's right back here. Insane. Somewhere during these times, I must have been praying. Somewhere during these times, I must have really sent up a sincere prayer. But you know, I do believe, like Linda said this morning, that God was carrying me. He knew how crazy I was. And he knew how I acted. When I was acting like that, y'all, I wasn't proud of myself. I would be so ashamed, and I'm going to hurry because the man just looked at his watch. I was so ashamed of myself that I went on and on and on. And I couldn't stop myself. It was like somebody watching TV. And I couldn't stop the program. And the more embarrassing it was, the more I acted out. And I would be so ashamed the next day, I would have to take a drink to act like I wasn't ashamed. And I would say, who needs you? I don't need nobody. I don't need a soul. And God, I was the loneliest person on this earth. I was so lonely. One of the greatest fears I had before I came to this fellowship was that I would have a funeral and nobody would come. That's how lonely I felt. And that has drastically changed. They carried me to Georgia Regional Hospital. I had been in treatment many, many times, and this was the last time. They had a meeting on Wednesday night, and it was required for you to come. A man was there from my town up in Savannah, 
and they were doing the meeting at the hospital that night. He was a tractor-trailer driver. He was tall, white, thin, and had a crew cut. He got up and he began to talk. And he told his story about going from the side of the country to the other in blackout. He told his story about not knowing where he was and what he was doing. And a light bulb went on just like that. So that's what happened to me. Because I had driven my car in blackout. I had driven my car with one eye closed so I wouldn't see four yellow lines. I had driven my car and didn't know how I had driven it, woke up sitting under the steering wheel parked in front of the house, not knowing where I got there or how I got there. And this man talked and it went like that. I said, that's what I do. That's what I do. And he said, at the end of the meeting, the guy got up who was chair and said, if you can identify with anything that you've heard here tonight, we ask you to come up and pick up a white chip. And I don't know that I got up because I was in the back of the room because, number one, I didn't want to be to no AA meeting. And I was in the back of the room, and all I know is my legs carried me up to the front. When I got up front, I had a chip. And I don't remember sitting back down. I don't remember what was said to me, but I know I had that chill. So I went to another meeting that week. They took us to a birthday party off campus. And there was a woman there talking at a, at a meeting. And they were having a birthday party. An Alcoholics Anonymous birthday party. And this woman got up to talk. And she was the alcoholic and her husband was the Al-Anon. And they shared the podium. And she got up there to talk. And she talked about how she lived in this old ragged trailer. Drunk up, laid down drunk, didn't care about herself. And I sat up there and said, Lord, because she was beautiful. She had on a hunter green dress and she had rich black hair hanging down. And she was so beautiful. And she talked, I said, God, you really believe that's what happened? And I looked over there in the corner and they had a room back there where everybody kept coming out with little cups. And I said, oh, oh. <laughs> I said, they got something here. I said, maybe if I keep coming back, they'll let me go back there and get something, whatever that is, in that cup. Because I couldn't believe no drunks were sitting around laughing and smiling and feeling good about themselves. There's no way. Not as horrible as I felt. I left the hospital. They sent me over to a halfway house this time. Wouldn't let my feet touch the ground because after three weeks, I was drunk again, every treatment center I'd been to. They sent me to a halfway house. And in this halfway house, you had to go to a meeting every night. And, when I, and during that time, I had to do... My third and fourth step. I had to do the fifth step, and I, when I got there, and, and, and I had to get a sponsor, and I had my counselor. They took my children from me. I lost my home. I lost my property. I was flat on my back looking up at Bobby, and that's where I had to go. Here it was, this woman who had grown up in the church, Achieved as much as a young black female could during that time. Scholarship to nursing school. Was flat on her back looking at bottom. Looking up at bottom. They sent me to the halfway house. I didn't have anywhere to go after I left the halfway house. I kept complaining about getting my children back. And they said, Carita, what we want you to do is look at the 12 steps. We want you to review those steps again and go through them again. For the first time in my life, I learned what a craving for alcohol was. You see, I had never allowed this to happen. I would always drink before it came on. And this night, I was sitting in a women's group, and I wanted to drink more. 
Oh, God, I have never, ever wanted to drink as bad as I wanted. I wanted to drink so bad until I began to cry. And the counselor looked at me. She said, what's wrong? I said, I want to drink. I want to drink right now. And she said, they gave me candy. They came over, and I began to cry. She said, have you ever felt? I said, I've never felt like this in my life. And then they gave me search for serenity, pain to believe. And I'd sit down and I'd read it at night. And I'd read, and they tell me to meditate in prayer and pray. And I'd, I'd be down in that room, and, I, and I, I, this treatment center wasn't a, a, a luxurious place. When it rained, it rained in there on the floor in the basement. You know, so it don't, don't tell me you've got to have carpeting in an uh, exclusive area to get sober in. Because, see, I think if I had one of those places, I'd be drunk right now. Because I, my ego would shoot off, and i say, if I can be in a place like this getting better, I ain't nothing wrong with me. But I needed to be right where I was, you see. And I was in that bed at night, and I'd pray. I'd get down on my knees in that water, and I would pray. Then I'd get in that bed, and they say, close your eyes. That's what they said in our group. Close your eyes and surrender to God. But it was so scary. I was scared that if God took me, he was going to kill me because I deserved to die. You see? And I was scared to surrender. But when I'd go to the meetings, the women would talk to me and they would tell me. And I'd go to meetings every day and every night. And I'd look around and I'd say, there's too many white faces in here. I'd say, there are no black people. This thing don't work for black people. <laughs> and God knew what I needed, so he sent me to a meeting over in Jessup, Georgia. And there was a, a young man there. He was celebrating three years of sobriety. And his three daughters got up and sang one day at a time. Acapella. You talking about beautiful. I said, uh-oh. It does work for black people. <laughs> I kept praying and meditating. I kept praying and meditating. I kept reading my steps. I kept going over them. I kept going to my sponsor. I kept going to my counselor. I said, I don't know whether I can do this thing or not. She said, yes, you can. I kept going to the meetings, and I'd watch people. They passed the basket around, and they put dollars and money in the basket. I had nothing to put in the basket, not a dime, a quarter, anything. Nothing. I was rolling cigarettes. From the tobacco they issued at the treatment center. Okay. One night I began to pray. I was in the halfway house. And I don't know what I said too much. But I must have opened a private line to my God. Because I told him what I wanted to be. I told him I wanted to be a good mother, a sober woman. I told him I wanted to stop being the bun of the jokes. I wanted to keep a good job. I wanted to do good things with my life. I told him this. And I knew he heard me. You see, there were doubts in my mind about God, even though I grew up. But that night, can nobody change that. I know there is a God. And I know that he loves Carita. And I know he cares what I do every day. And I know that if I put him first in my life, I'm always going to be a winner. And that night, a door opened for me, and I thought I lost my mind. I got up out the bed, and I walked around, and I turned the water on in the bathroom. I said, you reckon they got spigots in hell? Because I know I'm going to die and go to hell. I ain't going to heaven. And I turned the water on, and I walked around, and I said, something has happened to me. But nobody knew that but God and me. 
So the next day I went to my counselor. I said, something happened to me last night. I said, tell her what happened. She said, greet this yours. God gave it to you. I said, really? I remember I picked up that. Three more chips. On that chip, it said, thank you for your drink. They gave me a pass to go home. I went home. I had $100 because I was selling some land at a loss. And I had $100 in my pocket. And you know where I went? To the speakeasy. And I, went, and I sat up and the lady said, I don't have change for a $100 bill, Creed. God will intercede. I said, well, I tell you what, can I have just a drink? I got 75 cents. She said, yeah, I can give you 75 cents. She put it in the glass. Somewhere from somewhere, and I choose to say it came from God up on the wall. You know, little things say reason to drink and reason not to drink came up on the wall, just clear as day. Say reason you got to drink, mad with boyfriend. Reason not to drink, sponsor, friends in the fellowship, children, son on a list. Had to drink in my hand, 75 cents a drop. Three months and two days without a drink. If I wanted that drink, you tell me. And I sat there with him, and I sat there with him, and I said that God grant me the surrender to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can't. And I walked away from him. And I went outside and I jumped up and down. And they said, what is wrong with that crazy fool now? So, you know, I tell you I was crazy. And I jumped up and down. I said, damn it, I did it. I did it. I did it. It was the first time in my life I ever put a drink down without a plan to go get another one. And if you ain't never had that feeling, you missing something. You missing something. I came back. We moved into a place. I kept going to meetings. I picked up one year. Two years, three years, and it didn't go right good. Five years was hell. Rough time. Worked with my sponsor. Kept going back. Kept going to meetings. Kept being angry. Got married. Got divorced. Got into a bankruptcy. Lost my job. Moved around. People manipulated and changed me. Lost all of my property and everything. But they tell me, they tell me that there ain't nothing in this world that God and I can't do together. I don't stand up here as a picture of the epitome of success, but I'll tell you one thing. I went back to nursing school. I'll tell you one thing, the same place that I used to be a patient and kept going in and out of, I became director of nursing of. The same place, you hear what I'm telling you? I'm here to tell you, right now, I walk through the town where I walk so drunk People didn't even recognize me. God has helped me out and torn out that old flop house I was in the last time I got drunk. It's not there anymore because it was right opposite from my church. Right now, I sit down and I cross from my desk and I talk to people and I can't look down at nobody. They look at me and I say, I'm here because God sent me in your life. I say, you no longer have to be ashamed. I'm here to represent what success can be if you simply make a choice. There is a fellowship that will take you and nourish you and develop you and prepare you for the world. There is a fellowship 
that you become dependent on that improves and promotes independence. There is a fellowship that does not take any credit for what they do for you. There is a fellowship that requires no dues, no fees, and you do not have to be president to achieve. There is a fellowship that is no regards of color, creed, race, sex. There is a fellowship that will take you in right now, right now, if you choose to. And there is a loving God that made this fellowship possible. And if you want it, it is yours simply for the asking. Simply for the asking. I will tell you today that I still have problems. My child is getting better simply because I'm doing what I need to do. Turn her loose and give her the car. Same God that brought me out, going to bring her out. or take her through what she has to do. These are not my children personally. I just was the vessel that God allowed me to bring them to earth. My children belong to God. They are not mine to control and manipulate and make demands on. And sometimes I forget that. That this loving God, who if God can bring me out of hell, he surely can bring them out if they choose. And what I do, and I get more comfortable if I back away. I got into a problem on my job just recently. And I said, oh God, my pride got all hurt. Here I am. Uh, director of residential and, and, uh, and uh, uh, outpatient. And oh yeah. And I said, oh, I, I don't live with this. I'm moving out of Sussex because I don't know. My adversity became my blessing. I became physically ill. I've been diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And I heard Linda talk this morning, and I'm going to talk some more with her. And I have to do things a little bit easier with less stress. But you know, God is a good God. Because I know all that I did to get over here has not been more exciting than what I did up here. And my pulse is beating just as normally now. So I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. In the meantime, there's so much more I could tell you and want to tell you. We can talk later. But I'll tell you this. If nobody has told you how important and how much love you've given me, if nobody has told you how much they love you today, thank you, thank you for being God's right-hand assistance in me getting my life back. Thank you.